And today, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. And so if you would uh, find your place there in God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1. And today, we will be reading verses 1 through 3, but we will only be, well, we will be spending the bulk of our time in verse 4. There's a lot of theme on um, verse three. I'm sorry. There's a lot of themes that are there uh, that I think would encourage us in this uh, unique season that we in we're in. And some of you may be feeling um, hopeless, uh, considering all of the things that is going on um, around us in the culture and in our own lives. And uh, we're we're hoping that something would be said today to encourage you. And so um, at the time of this letter, uh, Christians were faced with all kinds of opposing attacks on the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, Peter testified as a witness to the overwhelming reality of God's grace that is done in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus rose from the grave. So his perspective about life is different. He knew Jesus had ascended into heaven. He was an eyewitness. He knew the reason Jesus died. After Peter knew what the Lord's death has accomplished, the reality, this reality, gives us hope in God. Christians will not only have hope because of their sufferings, but they've been given the ability to rejoice during their sufferings because it enables them, it enables us to join Christ in his suffering. And so for that reason, to God be the glory, amen? In other words, when, when these Christians suffer for the sake of Christ, they experience hope in the eternal God. Peter is trying to help these Christians see that their faith is more precious than any other experience that they will have in their life ever. So he's this fisherman knew that hoping in God is better than resting in the reality of our struggle, our pain, our difficulty, whatever the struggles are. Because Peter at one time in his life denied the Lord three times. But this didn't, this didn't define him. He was forgiven for his sin and was used by God. Peter knew this, and because of this, he will never forget it. That's why we see he often throughout his letter describes uh, the elements of the Christian life as being precious. Because he realized that life is not just happening. But he realized that everything is being worked out for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
And so, in other words, God doesn't waste anything. He uses even the sufferings in our life so that we might be brought nearer to him. And so, these refugees who were scattered now, who were now having to trust God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution. These refugees never have to worry about what they left behind because they had the greatest gift of all. They have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our hope is not dependent upon how well man treats us. Whether people attack us, disagree with us, or befriend us, we can witness the truth no matter what. Because the truth of God is not dependent upon relationship with man or circumstances. We witness the truth regardless because we are his redeemed. And so we must remember that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ He saved us from our corrupt and useless lifestyles of the past. And so the benefits that we have now is that old things have passed away and all things have become new. But sometimes this reality gets lost. Sometimes we don't hold to it as strong as we should. And so Peter wants to encourage these Christians who are scattered and who are being persecuted. So let's look at the text and let's uh, begin reading at verse number 1. 1 Peter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to to result in 
praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, your word is true and faithful, and your word is effective. We thank you for your word. We pray now that your word will go forward, reaching our faith, helping us to trust you by the power of your spirit, enabling our minds and our hearts to contemplate the reality of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would guide your truth, that we might know it in a real way. So therefore, speak to our circumstances. You know them. Speak to the struggles the sufferings, the pains that we may face. And Lord, if we're not facing any, let this be a moment of preparation so that when the testing of trials come, we might come out more, better on the other side. We might come out purer than we've been before, more faithful, more dependent upon you, more hoping in you. And Lord, may you get all of the glory, the honor and the praise. We pray for the one who do not know you, that their hope might be found in you, and that today might be the day of salvation. We ask all these prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled Hope That never fails. Hope that never fails. Um, what we believe about hope is important because if our hope is, is dependent upon things or is founded upon things that can be shaken that can be moved, disturbed, or even lost. That hope is not good. That hope is not strong. And that's the difference between the believer's hope and the hope of the world. Our hope in God can never be moved because God can't be moved. Our hope can never be disturbed because who can tell God anything? He does everything that is according to his plan and his purpose. He does all things well. And so it matters who we're hoping in and what we're hoping in. And so Peter, an apostle to the Jews, opens his letter by Blessing God's true people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he, he's talking to them in a language 
that is unique to them because these are Jews who became Christians. So they are Jewish Christians. And so he's changing up language as he communicates to them. And so he begins by blessing them, his true people. He's not giving them a cheap word that we can find on racks and racks of cards that repeat the same state of greeting as we see in the malls. When, you know, when we're rushing to get a card for someone, and a card that is not well thought out, but it'll do this time. Uh, It's not that kind of, of, of greeting. Peter, on the other hand, greets them with a blessing. What makes his greeting a blessing is that it's the power of God through the work of the Spirit. For example, when the benediction is given at the end of the worship service uh, as ministers, we don't have the power to make the words become effective in your lives. We're speaking the word of God in hoping that the Spirit would activate the word that is spoken. And so what we give is the benediction. It's the Spirit who gives the power to the words we speak. We are declaring God's grace upon those who are his people. And so we see this same kind of language in verses 1 and 2. And uh, I want us to look there again so that we might see it there. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. Then he says in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. So he's, he's, he's using language that is for believers, and then he blesses them. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied. Peter wrote this letter during a time of devastation and suffering when the people of God were beginning to feel hopeless. But but Peter is not letting them off the hook because they're going through a season of suffering. No, he, he still expects them to obey God in the midst of their misery because he understands that God uses pain. In other words, the right suffering comes when we are suffering right before God. On the other hand, we should never expect God's favor when we suffer for doing wrong. But when we're in line with God's word, we can anticipate blessing because God works all things together for our good. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his address to the churches, Peter spoke reverently to bless God. In his address, he desired to help churches understand the importance of honoring God with words of exhortation. In other words, that, that, it, it's a way we speak to God. We can't speak to God any kind of way. We, 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 we speak to people based on who they are, right? There's a certain way we speak to our friends that gives us a little more lenience, right? But when we come in the house and mama is in the house and daddy is in the house, we the children understand we have to keep it down and we can't talk any kind of way. Amen? <laughs> so, so it depends who we're talking to. So let, now let's crank it up a little bit. When we speak to God, we must recognize who he is, the creator who made us, the savior of our souls, the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, the one who made us the children of the most high God, the one who gave us our identity now where the old man is dying and we are new in Christ. That God, the one who deserves worship and praise. And so Peter does this. And so he does this by honoring God with words of exaltation. And after Peter gives his salutation, he uses one word to show how Christians ought to relate to God. This is a well-known word in the Christian community. It's a, it's a, it's a, a deep-founded word. Today, people often use this word. The word I am alluding to is the word blessed. Blessed. Peter used it to show reverence for God and exalt his name. Every Christian should acknowledge God in ways that honor him and exalt his name. We ought to be finding ways to glorify God. We ought to be recognizing everything in our lives and we ought to be saying, thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for this and for that. We are blessing God, if you would. We are praising God, if you would. And this is what Peter does in his letter. And so Peter used it so that he might show his listeners how they too can exalt God. The way we believe God or the way in which we believe, displays how relevant God is in our lives. How would people know that God is important to you? He would know by what you say. It would be hard for people to believe that I love my wife and I never talk about her. Right? People will probably think I'm a single man, especially if I forget my ring one day, right? 
But if I'm saying, man, my wife made a good meal for me today. My wife made breakfast for me. I'm, I'm thankful. Man, this tea is really good right now. She did a great job. And she does that for real, just so y'all know. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that when you love a person, right, you do not, not talk about them. Right? When, when we love people, we, we express that. We acknowledge that, right? And so this is what, what Peter is doing. He's loving God. He's expressing his love for God. And the other side of that is that the less relevant God is, the more we acknowledge ourselves and orchestrate our own lives. We're in control. We're in power. So we don't have anything to say about God. But the more relevant God is, the more we recognize him for all of the happenings that is happening in our lives. On the one hand, self-denial brings about joyful, high-spirited praise that elevates God and God alone. And on the other hand, self-exaltation brings about self-esteem, self-homage, and self-worship, and lifts up man's pride. So since God is sovereign, the Christian must pay respect where respect is due. It's not that we should honor. Instead, is that we owe honor to the one true God, who is honorable, right? In 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul gave glory to God, saying, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? Peter wanted Christians to know and understand the unique relationship they have with God or of the God of the universe. Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase is probably not as unique to us as it would be to the Jew because as Christians, we understand the Trinity. But for those who were Jews, they referred to God differently. Peter's reference to God is different because Jews referred to God as creator and redeemer, which pertains to God delivering them from Egypt. So to refer to God in this way was the norm for Jews in Peter's day. Peter's reference to God is unique because in this letter, he referred to God, the Father, in relationship with God, the Son. Instead of Peter saying to the church, blessed be God, creator and redeemer, he literally says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference here? Here, there's a richness in Peter's address. Peter wanted these struggling Christians to understand the legacy 
they now have in Christ. Not only did God bring them out of Egypt, but now they are to worship the Son of God who paid for their sins, who bled and died for their sins. And he paid and he did it once and for all so that all of our sins might be dealt away with. And so, here we see the legacy that they have, and it's a reminder to our own legacy that we have in Christ. He wanted them to understand and know their birthright in light of the Christian heritage, right? It's easy for them to go back to their old Jewish ways. He wanted them to understand their newness, the new birthright, that you've been born again. You've been born again through the blood of the Lamb. And so he, he makes this clear. And so in Peter's address, he brings out this great inheritance. No matter what circumstances may arise, Christians are still required to pay homage to God. He deserves the praise, the honor, and the glory. We are responsible for praising God if nobody else does. Right? That's our responsibility. We own him. We are to own that which is ours. Right? We're to own our relationship. And so we're not unashamed of who we are in Christ. We own that. Call me what you want to. We own who we are in Christ. That's the confidence we go forward with. It's a reminder that we are to continue to pray, uh, praise God no matter what. No one is exempt. Everyone is at the helm of his own life controlling his own ship. All those under the influence of the Holy Spirit render honors to their God. Every believer has hope. And how did every believer receive this hope? Where verse number three says, according to his great mercy. Isn't that wonderful? Not that, that we deserve it. Not that we should have it but according to his mercy, God saw fit out of his divine love to save sinners. That's the beauty of our salvation. God's great, great mercy is the motivation for salvation that causes all believers to obtain everlasting joy. God's mercy is the motivating factor for all believers to enjoy the endless, exuberant euphoria. All that joy is, God wants to give it to us because God is the fountainhead of all good things. My man is leaving me. <laughs> um, but... That's the comfort we have in knowing Christ. In other words, this is the most generous 
stimulus package anyone could ever receive. What an unbelievable God. Why would God do this for us? Right? We know who we really are. Right? We know our secrets and failures that we don't want anybody to know. But God knows. And despite that, he says, I'm going to love you anyway. And so we have here God's mercy is the motivating factor for our joy. God is amazing in that he is rich in his mercy. God's kindness and compassion upon helpless sinners are not because of anything we've done. It is solely because of God's divine love. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. All of the religions of the world requires you to do something and then maybe you might be saved. It depends. That's instability. That's hopelessness. Right? But when hope is founded upon who can't lose, hope that is found upon one who always wins, who is perfect, when the work is already done, then all I have to do is receive the gift that God has given me. And how precious it becomes when we know we don't even deserve it. That's the beauty of being saved by grace. It's a free gift of God. It says not of works that you're saved, but it's the free gift of God. It's by grace. I heard someone say it's God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, you get it all. But it ain't because you did it. It's all because Christ done done it. If I could say it that way. Right? In other words, all I'm saying is that God is good. Right? Oh, taste and see that God is good. And so because of God's love for us, we experience the richness of God's abundant, great mercy. Out of God's divine abundance, we receive God's divine compassion. His divine compassion. In other words, we did nothing to obtain our salvation. We accepted it based on undeserved favor. God, by the will of the Spirit, enabled us to receive his glorious gift of salvation. Though we are sinners by birth, by nature, we love to sin more than we love God. That's a reality. And so we see the need for the new birth. In Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, 
People are quick to make themselves righteous on the basis of external things that they have done or the external things that people see. But when you deal with man's inside, the inside man is the problem, right? Jesus, even when he was dealing with his disciples, when the Pharisees tried to call them out because they didn't wash their hands, he said, you're getting it all twisted. It, it It ain't the outside. It's the inside that defiles the man. It's what's come up out of him because that's the thing that's coming from the heart. You have to deal with him, the inside man. And so here Jesus says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a person. And then if that's not enough, in 1 Corinthians 2.14 it says, the natural person does not accept the things of God or the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, they're spiritually bankrupt. No one can come to God thinking that they will receive anything from him when they are spiritually bankrupt. Before believers came to God, we were all evil. We were criminal-minded, good-for-nothing scumbags, known as sinners, right? But thanks be to God. We got to see ourselves for what we really are. Because the problem is if we think we're good enough, we haven't really seen ourselves in the right light. Because now we're saying it's Christ and our good works. You see? No, erase that. We're saying we're dead in trespasses and in sin. We're scumbags, good for nothing, who are sinners that are saved by grace. It's not that we have the bread. We are beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. And he is Christ. Right? He's the bread. So, without God's mercy, we are flawed creatures. We have no hope at all. But we have obtained the kingdom of God because of God's rich mercy. We are in spiritual poverty without the mercy of God because we are natural born sinners. Right? We're natural born sinners. So without God, man can do nothing. Because we're in a condition of sin, we desperately need God's mercy. Salvation came by the mercy of God. Micah 7 and 18 says it like this. Who is a God like you? Partening iniquity and passing over transgressions. For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because God 
delights in his own steadfast love. We, we can agree with the Apostle Paul when he called God the Father, the Father of mercies. God is a merciful God. His mercy is not dependent upon what man does. God's mercy is divinely distributed. God, in his, according to his own plan and purposes, chose those whom he know and whom he loved and would be saved. And so God's mercy, in other words, the Lord divinely passed out his mercy to those who would, who would have it. And so in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, God spoke to his servant Moses and said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God disperses his mercy on his own accord whenever he wants. The scripture reminds us that he does this, or he did this before the foundation of the world, those who would be here. In living out our lives as Christians, we understand we're living under the divine sovereign will of God. Christians must know that they are limited, we are limited, and God is limitless. We are finite and God is infinite. Keep that. Don't lose that. All of the impossibilities that we come across and think of, we need to remember his character. He's infinite. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can hold him back. Not even the circumstances you're facing right now. See, it's important our theology matters because if our theology is off or wrong, we'll be running around just like the world with no hope. You see? So let us remember. Let us remember who God is. Man's wisdom has borders. God's wisdom has none. In everything we ought to always offer God his rights over our rights. So when we pray, what do we say? Lord, not my will, help me now, but your will be done. Amen. So um, the next verse in, in uh, verse number three, Peter says, um, or the next phrase in verse number three, Peter says he has caused us to be born again. This is the new birth we call we call this as, um, we call this uh, regeneration. So, to all those who believe and are born again, um, we have received the living hope. When when Peter says God has begotten us again, he's referring to the new nature we receive at regeneration. When when God gave us faith to believe. We receive this new birth with a new nature. All right? So, so, so in other words, the old man is still there. We're still going to wrestle and, and have tug of war with the flesh. But there's a new man who is stronger. 
right? A new man who depends upon God and who rests in the, the Spirit's power. And so we are renewed, we have a new birth, we have a new nature, and God is the one who caused this. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, If we're to look back at our scripture reading, we'd see that God causes the new birth. Um, according to Titus uh, 3 verse 5, it states, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So before sinners can come to God, they must first undergo a spiritual metamorphosis through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is at this point that sinners receives a new nature and can love and can honor and can serve and worship God. Without the new birth, there is no forgiveness of sin and there is no eternal life. The next phrase uh, in the verse says to a living hope. And I want to say that hopelessness is a lousy state to be in. It It can cause many dangerous conditions such as grief, unnecessary grief, sadness, anger, disappointment, shame. It also may cause intolerableness, anxiousness, worrisome, weariness, and in more extreme cases, it can even lead to life-threatening situations. All right? Peter understood these dangers. That's why he wanted to help this suffering church. So he wrote an inspiring letter to the churches whom he loved. He understood the value of suffering. So without hope, we are extremely miserable. Hope in our text refers to our salvation. Without Christ, hope is dead. But what is hope? Hope is a confidence of expression, uh, a confidence of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. Hope is one of the most significant benefits to have during trouble for the believer. To hope means to trust. To hope means to, to expect. To hope means to anticipate that something is going to happen. Hope means to look forward to. Our hope is found in God. Psalm 43 verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What the psalmist is trying to say is that sometimes you have to talk to yourself. 
when, when things aren't right and you're feeling a certain way, you have to minister to yourself the word of the living God. Right? Because that word is effective. And when the word of God goes forth, right? It's, it's effective. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So therefore, we must use this benefit. Hope is found not only in God, but hope is found in his word. Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in the former days were written for our instruction that through endurance, trouble, pain, difficulty, and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So if we have a job, we, we got to use the right tools on the job. We can't be a mechanic trying to use a pencil, right? It's not going to work, right? But when we use that power drill and we're like, zit, 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 and we're moving stuff out the way, right? Then, then we're we moving somewhere, right? And, and God wants that for us, but we got to use the tools he gave us. We can't use man-made tools for spiritual situations, right? So hope is found in God. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the, Christian life, in the Christian life, we will have to fight, battle, war, and skirmish. But we must understand that hope is a weapon of choice for every believer in every situation when it's time to rumble. Right? You're going to have to fight sometime. Right? You're going to have to fight spiritually. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 says, But since we belong to the day, let's not be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Right? The hope of salvation is like a helmet in a battle. We must wear it to protect vital portions of our beliefs. Sometimes we underestimate our belief system, but this is dangerous because what we know and what we believe is crucial to how we respond to difficult circumstances. It's crucial. What we know is crucial to how we respond in difficult circumstances. So it's important that we live off the word, that we have a biblical perspective. So it doesn't matter who's in office. Right? Because he's on the throne. And so we can have hope regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the systems that are in place. We must make sure it is mandatory that we defend against the world's ideology that strikes against the consciousness of our mind. It's a battle. It's a battle. 
The believer has hope because he is at peace with God. Christians have a living hope that goes beyond the grave. See, people that doesn't have hope, they wonder sometimes about death. One day they will have to face that cold body will be on a slab one day. And we have to meet, we will have to meet our maker. And either we're going to be in Christ and saved from hell and the righteous indignation of God. Or we're going to be at peace because we know Christ as our Lord and Savior because we have hope. And so, because Christ is living, guess what we have? And not just any kind of hope, but what kind of hope? A living hope, an abiding hope, a hope that is active, a hope that is at work. It's not a hope that is set aside. It's a hope for now. We must grab that. We must grab that and live by it. This is the true and living hope that Peter is trying to give to these suffering Christians. He says, you must know your birthright. You must know your inheritance. This is not it for us. This is only a transition. This is an upgrade. Have you ever went to the car lot and you had your little Miji car that you was going to get because you was broke like me, right? And, and then you said, oh, man, I got hope in making it or whatever. And they said, you know what? You've been upgraded. You're like, for real? Yeah. I've been upgraded. Oh, man, what do I get? And then you get, a, you know, this big SUV and everything works out and you're thanking God or whatever. That's what we have in Christ. We've been upgraded. We see what everybody else is going to get. Right? But we've been upgraded. Live like it. Live like it. Put on the right clothes. Right? Believe God. Have faith in him. Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10, and I'm almost done. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord of his God who made heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. By the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Because he's reigning, you are reigning. Your hope is reigning. The final phrase that summarizes all of this is, in verse 3 it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
It's the reality that he got up and, 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 and defeated death. Not even death can hold him. And it's as if Jesus says, you saw all the miracles. Watch this. Yeah. Watch your boy. Watch this. You, you ain't going to believe this. And all the centurions and everybody came to the tomb. Mary came to the tomb. And guess what Peter did? Peter said, what? He lifted up his loins and he ran to the tomb himself. Mary and them said, you ain't going to believe this. And he ran. So now he's writing a letter to suffering Christians. And he has all of this theology that he has experienced with his own eyes. And he tells them that you have a living hope. Know who you are in Christ. Know your identity. Salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. No one can receive salvation by any other means except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her a question. Do you believe this? And that's to every person who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the reality. Is the reality between life and death, between heaven and hell, is what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe him that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again from the grave with all power, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that? If you believe it, then you profess your faith. You let it be known. Begin walking in step with God. Turn away from the way you used to live and begin practicing the way of faith. That's the proposal that is on the table. And either we, ex- we will accept the proposal or we will just walk away. But that's not the end because the scripture reminds us that if we don't receive Christ and trust in him, then we're going to have to stand for ourselves. And the scripture says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Doesn't have to be because the gift of God is eternal life through his son. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. May your word remain with us for the rest of the week, Lord, sorting us out, reminding us of the hope that we have. So when trials come, when difficulty come, of various kinds, whether it's in the family, in the home, or on the job, wherever it is, Lord God, help us to remember this hope that we have. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.